Tiffany. You know, as she was talking about Bible school, it reminded me of something that happened um, Friday. We went down for Ethan's graduation from kindergarten, and uh, there was two classes and about probably 35, 40 kids, I guess. And they read their names eventually, and they all walked up and shook the teacher's hand. And the little boy sitting next to, um, to Ethan, his name was Dylan, and um, he came down and I didn't notice at the time. I was trying to watch. Actually, I really was trying to watch because, you know, the moms were taking pictures and dads were taking pictures and grandmas, grandpas. And uh, what I thought was later confirmed that there was no one to take Dylan's picture. And uh, turned out, Gwen, uh, Karen Clare's daughter, teaches down there. And she kind of took this little boy under her wing. And uh, she told us that mom was in jail and dad didn't care. And she cared enough to go and find some clothes to wear and um, for graduation. And he came to school with, with holy jeans and not to be fashionable and a T-shirt with a hole in it. And um, our Bible school is going to be filled with people like that, kids like that. And they need to know that Jesus will still be there. It's just a great opportunity. Uh, sending the parks going to be a great opportunity. It's going to be filled with people whose life is a mess. And they need to know that Jesus will still be there. And it's just a great opportunity. A friend of mine who recently retired, we talked last week or this week, I don't remember when it was, but he was talking about, you know, I get to work in Bible school this year. And he was genuinely excited about that. Didn't know where he was going to serve, but he was excited about that. And this morning, Amy Craig and her family joined our church, and um, she was saying, I've already signed up to work in Bible school. So what an opportunity. So understand, this is... This is the takeoff, is that this morning, and really recently in this service, I, I look at our young parents, and so many of them are struggling in this culture that we have. Guys, like we said last week, it is the hand that we are dealt for these days. It's not accident and mistake. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But the culture we're living in is crazy. And they've got to determine that they're going to believe this book. And by believing it, saying, I'm gonna, we're going to live by it. And that was part of this morning's message. And, of course, the new birth. And I want to encourage us. We're a little bit older crowd always on Sunday nights. I'm thankful for a few young ones. We're glad to have you guys. Um, but we're largely the older crowd. And we've got to do our part in encouraging and strengthening. The lady who just sang, um, four children, single mom, great family to back her up and support her. But her life is hard. And we got to make sure we love our single moms and single dads. And regardless of how the family is made up, no matter what the tribe looks like, that we as a church family um, are loving those people. And these young parents that they have two or three kids or two kids or one kid, but in this crazy culture, we who've been around a while, we've got a few miles under our belt. We need to make sure that we're loving them and we're supporting them and that we're also there for them, just like Jesus is there for them. Amen. So if you're looking for a reason to sign up for Bible school, if you're looking for a reason to teach the uh, two-year-olds in preschool, if you're looking for a reason to come to Sunday in the Park and serve, just remember Dylan. Mom in jail, and Dad doesn't care. And by the way, he said that. I don't care. I don't care. To his little five-year-old boy. And so we need to pray, okay, before we preach. So just bow your heads right there. God, we are just so grateful and thankful for who you are and all that you are. 
Father, I thank you for the song that Tiffany just sang. Thank you for that, God. Father, thank you, Jesus, that you will be there. In changing seasons of our life and when things are difficult and, and things take a crazy curve and society gets crazy, you still are there. And we are just so grateful for that. Father, I pray that we'll take very seriously your command to love one another. And Father, that that love will be, will be marked with action and not words. Father, may we truly be a people radically in love with you and radically in love with each other. Father, I thank you for Dylan. Father, and the, and the countless children whom he represents. But his life matters. And Father, I want to pray right now in Jesus' name for him specifically. And then God, for all the ones like him that are hurting in this world. I want to pray, Father, that you will show your incredible love for the little children around our community and around our city. Father, and, and show that love through us. May we be a huge part of your plan to love them. For the single moms and single dads whose life is so difficult, while we pray for them. For these young parents, God, Father, in a crazy culture, we were blessed to grow up in something a little bit different, those of us who are a little older, a more constant, a more steady culture. But these are changing days and changing times. And Father, we want to pray for them, that they will cling to the Savior and cling to the Word of God. Father, I pray that this will be one of those instances when there is no half commitment, no selective commitment, that their, their Father is nothing but a total commitment uh, to you and your word in the area of our families. So God, uh, may it stick in our hearts what we've heard today and what we're about to hear. If we are tempted to wrestle with you about it, Father, may we allow you to pin us to the mat and may we surrender these areas of our lives. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen and amen. All right, did I die? No, it says I didn't. I believe it. I believe it. All right, would you take your Bibles, please, and go ahead and turn back to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And what we want to do tonight, I do want to get, I want to jump on 21 just as a connector because I think it's so important because I understand very clearly in these scriptures in Colossians 18, 19, 20, and 21, that, you know, if you're not a wife, you go, well, what's there for me? And if you're not a husband, you say, what's in there for me? Or, and if you're not a student, what's in it for me? Or if I'm not a parent, what's in it for me? And that's why I really wanted to point out verse 21. Because the umbrella, the umbrella we all live in is submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul just happens to choose four roles um, in the family and talk specifically about them. But no matter what your family looks like, no matter what your tribe looks like, whether you are a single mom or single dad, understand that Jesus will be there. Understand his word is still applicable and the, and the theme of submission still applies in every situation. So, so what did Paul, what did God say um, using the penmanship of Paul and his Holy Spirit? What did he say concerning the four roles? Well, in Colossians chapter 3, in verse number 18, here's what he says. 
And of course, these are familiar verses because, again, the, the bigger scripture is Ephesians chapter 5. And these kind of mirror those words in a much condensed version. He says in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, if you'll look there, you can see four verbs, all right? And they are, they are ways that we are called to submit to one another. And, and clearly, Paul uses the word, the actual word submit to come under the authority of your own husband. He, the, the, the submit word for the husbands is love. The submit word for children is obey. The submit word for fathers is do not provoke. And that's, I realize that's three words and not one, but do not provoke. And here's what I realized. Uh, it occurred to me, it occurred to me as I was studying this afternoon that this is, not that it might be, not that it could be, but this is one area that we might use selective learning. And I'm going to go ahead and use the word I like better, selective commitment. I, and, and again, my years of experience as pastoring, and Dave would agree with this, and Brent would agree with this. Uh, we have heard so many variations. This has taken such a negative connotation, uh, the submit word, the love word, the obey word, that, that we really push back from this. And I just want to look in the eye and tell you this, that this is the word of God. And this is not a place, because again, as we see families literally imploding it is a time to cling to the Word of God and obey the Word of God and not push back from the Word of God. It is not a time for selective commitment and say, well, I believe that this is right, but I don't believe this is right. It's not a time for selective learning and application. Okay, I know that truth, but I just don't want to apply it. Because if God is who we think He is, and He is, if God's Word is what it is, and what we think it is, and it is, then it's a word and a God to be loved and obeyed because, ready? He knows best. He knows best. He knows best. So the most tender one, the most difficult one, seems to be with the wives. And Paul uses this word, submit to your husbands. Now, first off, let me explain the culture in the time of Paul and the time of Jesus. This really was not a issue, if you will, because back then, and by the way, write this down, and you know something, I think Andy Stanley said at one time, you know, he said that wherever Christianity has exploded, wherever Christianity has come on the scene, women and children have fared better and not worse. Women and children have fared better and not worse. So you've got to understand, in the time of Jesus, in those times, women, you are property. You're a property. Again, if I understand the Hebrew setting correct in the Old Testament, and that's one reason Jesus taught so strongly about divorce, in the Old Testament, the husband basically said, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and guess what? You're divorced. And what happened was you were left out hungry. There was no, there was no social programs. There was no governmental programs. There was very little church program uh, and, and temple programs. You were left out there. And so, so that's the culture then. This would not have been an issue. 
You're born a woman, you're born property, and someone chose to marry you and pay, pay the bride price, and, and you became the wife, but you were treated so, so, so poorly. So submission was not an issue back in these days. Jesus and Paul come on the scene, and, and the Holy Spirit, and totally change the meaning of it. And you see this, well, first off, you're really going to see it in verse 19, but you see in verse 18, where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Your submission to your husband is not about him. It's about Jesus. You know, again, the songs we sang tonight were so strong. You know, we don't, listen, when God calls us to forgive, you don't forgive someone because that person is worthy of your forgiveness. You forgive because you've been forgiven. You, when, when it comes to love, you don't, you don't love a person as a believer now, as a Christ child. You don't love because, you know, that person's worthy of your love. You love for the sake of Jesus Christ. And ladies, I'm trying to tell you something, that this word submit is not a word to fear. Preachers, some preachers, and probably this preacher when I was younger, and I may mess it up tonight, I don't know, but, but so often this was presented as a woman being a doormat and a woman being inferior to a man, and that is not, that is not, that is not what the Word of God says. Now, now let me show this to you. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, it says this. Paul writes and says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. This is not a man-woman issue. It is an organizational issue. You've got to understand, Paul, God's word never says that somehow you're lesser, the males are, are, are more, and females are less. That is simply a false teaching. And again, some preachers have seemed to convey that truth. The bottom line is this, that God created the family. And because he's smarter than we are, he knew it had to have an organization. So that means that there needed to be a head or a leader in the family. And God chose the male, the man, to be the leader. That does not make you less. Listen, I spent 12 years in the Air Force. I was an enlisted guy. And all that time, almost every position I had, I worked for the commanding officer or I worked in a squadron where I worked for the commanding officer and there might be like four enlisted guys and everybody else was officers. Are you getting the picture? And, and again, in the military, you understand that the officers, you know, just rank higher than the enlisted guys. You know, basically, they tell the enlisted guys what to do. But here's what I want you to get. In 12 years, I never felt inferior because I listened to or obeyed an officer. In 12 years. In 12 years, never did I go to work and go, I'm a lesser person. He tells me what to do and I've got to do it. He's the leader and I'm not. Never in 12 years. And if you have that context of because God has said you are to submit to the authority, not a man-woman issue. You are to submit to the authority of your husband. You need, you, I think one, you misunderstand what God's saying. And two, you need to come to grips with God's organizational plan for the family. So imagine, if you will, and again, you know I'm not a sports person, but imagine you will if you had a football team and you had a coach. 
So the coach says one day on the sideline, guys, listen, you're all professionals. You're great guys. Go ahead out on the field. Have a great time. I'm going back to the locker room, and I'm going to read sports magazines, talk with a few coaches, and watch some sports films. So they go out on the field, and the quarterback says, okay, guys, here's the play I think we ought to play. And the running back goes, no, 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 no. I don't like that play. I think we all have this play. Well, the receivers all of a sudden go, no, 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 no. I think we should run this play. So they line up, and of course the quarterback runs one play, and the running back runs another play, and they get tackled down over. And then this goes over for three times, and then the guy to punt the ball goes in. He realizes he's kicking in the wind and says, you know what? It's not going to go very far if I kick in the wind. I don't want to feel bad about my performance. So he turns around and kicks with the wind, which is the wrong direction, and then they get penalized for kicking in the wrong direction. Well, then the defensive teams go out, and the defensive line lines up. Uh, yeah, the defensive line. They line up. Excuse me, offensive line. line whatever line it is, they, they line up. And the other team is hitting too hard. And they say, we think they're hitting too hard. We don't want to do this either. And the team loses and loses and loses. But the coach comes back out. And he says, you know, you know, I realize now that I need to be a, a, a part of the leadership team. And everybody, listen, either I'll call the plays or the quarterback will call the play. All right? Y'all listen to that. And they line up. And each person does their individual responsibilities. The quarterback calls the play. Quarterback calls the play. The guy, the running back, takes the ball, or one of the receivers gets the pass. And guess what? They win and they win and they win. See again, like I said this morning, there may be eleven players on a football team, but it takes all eleven. It doesn't make the offensive or the defensive lineman any better or worse because he's not the quarterback. Look at me, ladies. You are so valuable. You are so valuable. Listen again, this is simply put that God had to organize the family. And if you want to say your husband's the president, you're the vice president, you know, however you want to word it, I don't care. But don't leave this room thinking because God said you're to submit to your husband that you're somehow inferior because you're not. That you're less because you're not. God simply said, I want to organize the family where it functions and he placed the husband in line. Now, I'm not, I always feel just a little twinge when a pastor male is talking to ladies about submission. Except for when I can speak from my heart. I'm not a woman. I don't know how you feel. But I am a husband. And let me tell you something. And this isn't being mushy with Judy or anything, but it's, it's just where, where I am, where I need to explain this to you. Is that, you know, when God gave me a wife, Judy Taylor, and, and your wife, you know, husbands, you know, he gave you something you desperately needed. When, when Adam said... When Adam said, you know, when God said to Adam, you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't have a helper. You don't have one comparable. So he made a helpmate for him. He created a need in Adam and then gave him that need. You know, in, in Ephesians 5.33, Paul uses a different word. Ladies, listen real carefully. He said, you know, husbands love your wives thing. You know, we're going to talk about it in just a minute. And, and then he says this. And then he says, wives, respect your husbands. Respect your husbands. You need to know something about us. First off, some of us are frightened to death by leadership. We put on this big front. We talk about how brave and bold we are. But the bottom line is, when I understand I'm responsible for my family, and some of you as, as young couples, you know, you've got three mouths to feed. You've got clothes to buy. There are bills to pay. All of that. Sometimes, ladies, I'm just being candid with you, we're frightened to death of leadership. But you just don't know what you do for your husband when you say, I believe in you, when you show them respect. 
One of the things that Judy does for me is she respects me and she loves me. I wrote down the word undergird, to support. You know, the old song, it's not very good really, to be honest with you, it's not a good analogy, but the wind beneath your wings. That's so often that God gives us these wonderful wives to undergird us, to encourage us when we get discouraged to that. So understand something. Your husband may act very tough in who he is, but inside he craves your respect. He needs your encouragement. He needs you to undergird him and say, I believe in him. I'm not sure most wives understand just how important you are. Just how important you are. And if your husband's a little bit stupid and calls you a doormat or whatever and tries to play the doormat card, I'm the husband, just pray for him. He'll get over it eventually. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Ask God to just speak to his heart because he's a little mixed up about what God's Word says. Amen? Amen. So, ladies, we need you. We need you. We need you. So, then in verse 19, he starts talking to the husbands. And the way... Now, watch this. Listen carefully. The wives submit to the authority as leader. The wives submit to the authority of the husband because God's appointed him the spiritual leader of the family. The wives submit to the needs of the wife. The husband submits to, submits to the needs of the wife. How does he do that? By loving her. By loving her. Just like I confess to you that men crave respect. Husbands, ladies, women, wives, I'm sorry, wives need love. And when we, when we, when ladies, when you give the husband respect, and when he finally understands that he's to love you as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, an incredible thing happens. There's a, a matching, a meshing that is so powerful um, in God. Amen? Amen? Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. And don't be harsh with them. Understand she's not your buddy at work. Understand she is wired differently. And when we respond harshly to them, it, it, only, it only doesn't meet their need, it quenches their spirit. You know, Jesus, of course, was single. But have you noticed how he worked with, with women? When the woman was taken in adultery and the rocks were dropped finally and they're standing in a circle and then Jesus says, Woman, where are your accusers? And because there are none, Lord. And very kindly, he says, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. But neither do I condemn you. When, when the woman at the well who had had five husbands... He, he engages her in a very gut-level way where she could understand. He could have said, you've had five husbands. But he doesn't. And ultimately, she understands and comes to a saving faith. And in fact, her village comes to a saving faith. Think about Martha and Mary. Whether you're at the tomb of Lazarus, where he so tenderly speaks to them, meeting their needs at a gut level, or, or whether it's when Martha was sitting at his feet listening and, and Mary, so Mary's at his feet listening and Martha's in the kitchen cooking and she's all fired up about it. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. Mary's chosen the right thing and I will not stop her from doing that. So husbands, love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
That's how we're supposed to love. That's how we submit to our wives. God says, wives, you're to commit to the, uh, submit to the authority of the husband. The husbands, you're to submit to the needs of the wife. And I know the students aren't in here tonight. But what do you do with this? First off, understand if they were here, and you can tell them later, the word children there means young child, implying a young child that's still at home. So, so the students would say, yeah, that's for little kids. No, no, no. If you're still at home, it definitely falls in your realm. And I would say if you're a woman or a man, until you get married, there's a sense of authority here. But he says, obey your parents. That's your way of submitting is submitting to your parents and obeying what they say. And here's the deal. I know, I know, you know, students think and children sometimes think that parents have not arrived, that we're uh, old-fashioned, um, that we're, okay, we're dumb. That's just that, again, that's that pushback from authority. That might be that selective commitment, selective learning thing if they're believers that I've talked about. But here's the deal. Help, help your child to understand something. That you have a little bit more experience than they do. And that's why God says, obey. Parents, you are there to love and to protect your kids. And the truth is, you've been on the earth a little bit longer. You've ridden your bike a little bit further. And so God knows with the parental experience that you can help your child. Help your child understand that. Help them, take them to the scripture and see how even Jesus went home with Mary and Joseph and submitted to them. Help them understand that they are so much like Christ when they submit to your authority. Help them to understand that. And that ties right into verse 21. Where, where the Word of God says, Fathers, do not provoke your children. That's, this is one of those interesting things because in the Greek, the word fathers is plural. And very clearly, the author intended it to be parents. Very clearly. So it's not father, although that would be appropriate in the role of the spiritual leader of the family, but it's parents. It's mom and dad. If there's a family, there's a mom and dad. If there's just a mom or just a dad. But parents, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You remember, Judy, when James, we love this scripture, when, when they, they were saying, what should we do for the Gentiles that are saved? Should we make them be circumcised? And, and James said, you know, there in the, in the Jerusalem council, said, let's not make it hard. I, would you just do a suggestion? Would, would you just, could I just suggest to you that look for a reason to say yes and not a reason to say no? So often as parents, there's no logical reason. Hey, mom, hey, dad, can I do this? And there's no reason to say, to say no, but we say no. Now, there are good reasons to say no sometimes. Protect your children. But, but I suggest that maybe save your no's for the time when it really matters. Because if you're just the kind of parent that is gruff, no, 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 no. And, and, then, and then why? Because I said so. Sound familiar? I was raised with that, and boy, have I used it. Because I said so. There may come a time when you need your child's trust for you as a parent. If you use all your nose up, you may not have that trust with your child. I remember a story. It's too old now, but you probably don't remember it, and some of you haven't heard it. But I remember it was a story by Dobson, James Dobson. He received a letter from a lady, and she had a 12-year-old daughter, and she wanted to shave her legs. And uh, the mom said, no, no, no. And they were just fighting over this. 
just, I mean, James Dobson said, beating heads together. No, no, yes, no. And you know what James Dobson said? Go buy a razor. Go buy a razor. There are bigger battles to fight coming up. Don't use it all now on a matter that doesn't matter. Parents, seek to earn your child's trust. You can't always be their friend. You can always be their buddy. But seek to earn their trust. Live an authentic life and seek to learn, earn their trust. Don't provoke them. Don't provoke them. Don't make it hard for them. When you can say yes about something, if there's no reason to say no, if you can say yes, then say yes. And say those no's for the times that really matter. Well, I don't know if this made sense or not. I really don't know. I don't know. But I know this, God's Word does. God's Word does. And I do know this too. Let me just share this with you. I am pretty certain that Satan wants to keep this truth quiet. In this culture, I think he wants to keep these truths. He wants the family fragmented. He wants, he wants families where the husband won't lead, the wife won't follow, and the children won't obey. Because he knows that fragments the family. The last thing Satan wants is families that understand are willing to trust the Word of God and apply the Word of God. We need to make sure that doesn't happen. We need to delve into the Word. We need to dive into the Word. And what God says to us as individuals and what He says to our individual roles, we need to be willing to trust Him and do that. What's the old song? Trust and obey. Obey. Let's pray. Well, Father... Thank you for an opportunity again to share your word. Okay, God, I think I can authentically say my heart's just burdened tonight for families. Father, I just see families imploding. I know that's the desire of our enemy, our adversary. So God, I'm going to go down the list. I'm going to pray individually. First, I want to pray for us as your body. That, Father, we would learn the power of being filled with the Spirit. We would learn the power of being filled with your Word. That we would learn submission, Father, for one another. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, tonight I, I pray for the wives under the sound of my voice. Father, help them to trust your Word. Help them to see, Father, what you're saying in your word. Father, help them to undergird, to support and respect their husbands. Father, we need that as men. God, help us as husbands. Help us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Father, may our priorities be that we love you and we love our wives. Help our priorities to be that we would be second or near the end of the line for the sake of our wives and their needs. Father, don't let us be harsh. Please don't let us be harsh. Help us, Father, to be loving and kind like your son. Father, I pray for the children and the students. Lord, we've undermined authority now for a couple of generations in America, and we are seeing the consequences of that 
everywhere, in the schools, and on the streets, everywhere. And God, as, as, as we as parents, particularly our young parents, Father, as, as we love our children, as we support our children, we pray, Father, that they will trust us as such. And, Father, that they would be willing to trust you and obey. And God, being a parent, like so much of the no, like all the Christian life, we simply can't do it. It has to be the Holy Spirit living within us and empowering us. So, Father, help us to be the moms and help us be the dads, Father, that you have called us to be. And just one more time, I want to say it, God, for these single moms and these single dads, for the Dylans also, Father, of this world. God, I pray that we'll be there for them. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.